0: Let me describe the scene for you. You'll have to use your imagination since this may be one of those fantasy world kinds of thought experiments people like to use from time to time. But here it is. Are you ready? You are driving down a local road, maybe down the freeway, and suddenly another driver does something that leads to you getting upset. Whoa, I know. Crazy, right? (laughs) But let's say that in this scenario, you end up saying something about this driver. Some words come out of your mouth about this other driver. Maybe you start yelling. Maybe an expletive or two slips out. Whatever the specifics. Let's also say that you are not alone in the car. Okay? You're not alone in the car. So after a moment, you feel like you need to explain yourself. (laughs) You need to explain yourself to your child or to your spouse, to your friend, maybe to your coworker. What would you say? What would you say? Can you believe the way that some people drive? It's awful. Awful. It's really sad there aren't more officers out here enforcing our traffic laws. Who does this guy think he is? I'm not going to apologize for going the speed limit. People like that just really set me off. Did I tell you that my mom drove like that? And she nearly killed, off, killed us on more than one occasion. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I'm just on edge right now. You wouldn't believe the stress that I'm under at work. Any of those sound familiar? Some some variation of that? If we're honest with ourselves, all of them sound familiar. They're all part of our arsenal, right? They're all there in our box, our toolbox, to pull out and use at time. And why do they sound familiar? Because it's quite common for us to identify certain people. uh, It's quite common for us to identify certain circumstances, to identify them as the root cause in a situation where our behavior was less than ideal. This is why I did that. This is why I said that. This is why I responded the way that I did. Now, while certain people and certain circumstances are usually part of the equation, God's word routinely brings us back to another root cause. Another root cause. Jesus points to this root cause in a number of ways, both directly and indirectly, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. That is a section traditionally known as the Sermon on the Mount. A little fun fact about this, this is the longest recorded teaching of Jesus in the New Testament, uninterrupted. Um, so this sermon, this we called it when we went through the series on the Sermon on the Mount a few years ago, called it the Mountain Message of Jesus. Said he went up on the mountain to teach this this message. So this Mountain Message of Jesus is this very long, the longest discourse or teaching session of Jesus. And in this chapters five through seven, we find, as I just mentioned. A number of ways, both directly and indirectly, that Jesus addresses this question of the root cause in your life. The root cause in my life. So, let's get the context a little bit here in Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at verses 20. We're going to start in verse 21. Having just talked about the law. Just look look up to the verses prior to this. Verses 17 through 20. Scan over those with your eyes you'll see that he talks about the law or the law of the prophets there. You see that? That's the law of Moses. That's the, the Old Testament regulations and rules that were given. Remember the Ten Commandments, the Exodus coming through the parted seas, all of that great story. So this law, he's just talked about it. And look then how he goes on to use two out of the Ten Commandments at least in terms of the, the verses that we're looking at this morning. He uses two out of the Ten Commandments to make his point. So this is verses 21 and 22, and then we'll drop down to verses 27 and 28. Jesus declared in verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old. Rewind to the book of Exodus. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, declares Jesus, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now drop down to verse 27. You have heard that it was said, there's the same formula, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, think about those two passages. 21 and 22. And 27 and 28. Think about those. The last phrase that we find there in verse 28 is crystal clear, isn't it? The problems that Jesus is addressing here, the problems that he's addressing are most certainly, uh, they most certainly involve other people. They say that explicitly, don't they? They talk about a brother, verses 21 through 22. Verses 27 through 28, it talks about a woman. The brother. The woman. They involve other people, but our king here, our lord here, our master here explicitly identifies the real issue in each instance. The real issue is not the brother. The real issue is not the woman. The real issue is the heart. Your heart. My heart. Though we are tempted to say, but you don't know what that brother said to me. Though we are tempted to say, but you don't know. You didn't see how that woman was dressed. Though you're tempted to say, you don't know how hard things have been for me at work, at home, in my life. Though we are tempted to point to certain people and certain circumstances, Jesus Christ points to your heart. He points to my heart. We need to take a closer look at this, don't we? As people who often do so poorly in this area, we absolutely need to be guided by God this morning to understand this because this is the root cause. This is the issue, and and that will become abundantly clearer as we continue in the passage this morning. So we need to take a closer look at this passage and make sure that we're hearing everything God wants us to hear this morning about the heart. Remember, the heart, we're not talking about the blood pump in your chest, right? The heart, like in so many cultures, in the Bible cultures, the Hebrew culture, that context was just a term that was used to refer to your inner person. Sometimes the heart is the one used most often to describe in kind of a whole summary way who you are on the inside, the immaterial part of you. Sometimes mind is used, sometimes soul is used. Sometimes they're used interchangeably, sometimes they're used together to stress kind of every every aspect of who you are, 100% of you given to God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. One version adds on your strength, attacks uh, that on. So don't get confused, the heart here. Is that inner immaterial you? Now, as we dig into this, take a look at first, this first point. If you haven't already noticed, it's important to come to grips with the fact that number one, your heart will be judged. Your heart will be judged. The main thrust of both of these passages. The main thrust, if you continue reading through chapter 5, the main thrust of so many of these passages has to do with what we, we might call heart-based guilt. Jesus is establishing the fact that there is heart-based guilt. Things we're guilty of, not because we've done anything out here, right? But because something's happened in here. Something's happened inside of us with our thoughts, With our feelings, our choices, that inner volition. Heart-based guilt. Notice what Jesus says in verse 20. It's the verse that immediately precedes our first passage. This is what he tells his disciples. And this is important to understand where Jesus is going here. Verse 20, he tells his disciples, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What do we know about the scribes and the Pharisees? These were the Jewish leaders at the time, and they reveled, so many of them reveled in a righteousness that emphasized outward conformity to God's law. Now, let me be crystal clear. Let me be abundantly clear. Outward conformity to God's law is extremely important. That is a very good thing right? It's a very good thing that you're not murdering me this morning. Right? <laughs> it's a very good thing that you haven't cheated on your husband or your wife. It's a good thing to steer clear of sins like murder and adultery. Just think about how destructive those offenses are. Just think about it. In one case, not, the only, not only even taking a life, but the web of lives that are touched, that are impacted, that are hurt by those choices so outward conformity that outward action is extremely important i am not minimizing that in any way but too often the emphasis of these leaders here in the times of jesus and even still today too often the emphasis of these leaders on outward conformity kept them from recognizing the root cause It kept them from dealing with what was the root cause. It kept them from examining their own hearts. As Jesus explains, His followers are called to pursue a righteousness that exceeds this emphasis on conformity. This outward conformity to God's law. Simply that, only that. It's a righteousness that starts with our hearts. As Jesus goes on to demonstrate in his teaching here. It's a righteousness that understands that unrighteous anger is just as serious as murder. I said it. It's true. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a righteousness that understands that lust is just as serious as adultery. It's true. No, by themselves, lust and anger don't have the same consequences as adultery and murder But they do have consequences, serious consequences. For Because, in fact, they inspire things like murder and adultery. That's where murder and adultery come from. Moreover, they are all expressions of the same me-centered corruption that infects every single one of us. And so we are liable before God because of that corruption. We are liable before God because of the anger that focuses on another with hate. Because of the lust that turns another into an object selfishly for your own titillation, stimulation, satisfaction. You see, we should be liable for those things, shouldn't we? We need to be liable for those things. We understand the wickedness of these things. Christ's aim here is to sober us in light of this liability. To shake us and say, don't you see? Don't you understand where the corruption lies? Don't you see where it's coming from and what needs to be done? He's here sobering us in light of this, in light of God's judgment. Consider with me how Jesus will go on in Matthew's gospel to talk about this heart based guilt take a look on the screen you'll see it here this is not a one-off in chapter five he will go on and continue to bring this same idea up idea up he says to the to the religious leaders like the pharisees and scribes you brood of vipers how can you speak good when you are evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks that's where that evil talk is coming from That's where that maliciousness and that slander and that gossip is coming from, from here. That's Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus quotes the Old Testament prophet saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's not enough that they honor me with their lips. It's not enough. God wants all of you. He wants all of you. He wants your hearts. When he has your heart, he has you. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Jesus emphasizes that point again in Matthew chapter 15 verses 18 through 20. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. And here's the general. Look at this bigger, broader perspective. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. It is a good thing to have laws in our culture. It is a good thing to have laws in cultures around the world. But you are a fool if you think that you are going to legislate change in the human hearts. That's not how people work. All of the things that we so often write laws for to restrict people, to punish people, to confine behavior that we deem harmful, hurtful. Those things come from the heart. They're bred inside. Before you see them or experience them as a victim, they're born in the heart of that victimizer. You see, this is the change that God wants to bring to the hearts. It's important to note that Jesus was not revealing something new here. He was not revealing something new. He revealed many things that were new, but he was not revealing something new here. He was reminding these Jewish men and women of what God had already revealed in the Old Testament. 600 years before Jesus, Jeremiah pointed to this root cause and he reminded his hearers about this idea of heart-based guilt. Take a look at what he said. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Not just sick, desperately sick. So desperately sick, he adds the question, who can understand it? How will we even figure this out? Because we want to figure it out since this is the root cause. Do you understand your own heart? If you're honest, you don't. You might understand things about your heart. But you haven't figured yourself out why you do and say certain things. You haven't figured yourself out in that way, have you? Who can understand it? That sentiment, what you feel is what Jeremiah felt. Who can understand this wicked thing, this desperately sick heart? Then here comes the word of God. I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, search the heart. And I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Heart based guilt, sobriety in light of the judgment of god who knows your heart even what you're thinking right now and the sense here is not simply that he knows what goes on in your heart in terms of that jealousy in terms of that pride in terms of that fear in terms of that lust in terms of that rage in terms of that anger in terms of that bitterness in terms of that unforgiveness he knows what's going on there but he also understands that when you act a certain way Only in conformity to the external look of godliness, he knows what's driving it. And you fool yourself if you think that you're earning some kind of credit with God because you've simply conformed externally when he knows what drives you is something different. It's me-centered. It's looking for human approval, human acclamation. It's looking to something else other than God for satisfaction and comfort and life. God knows this. Jeremiah has brought this out. Jesus is bringing this back to his readers to help them understand. It is a good thing. It is a right thing to not act on that anger boiling up on the inside of you. It is a good thing. It is a right thing to not act on the lust that grips your imagination. But the existence of those things inside of you simply confirms that you are corrupt like me. You are corrupt. And the entertaining of such things simply adds to our guilt when you feed those things. When you don't stop and say, I am angry right now and my thoughts are far from kind towards that individual there. Before we check ourselves, you know, before you wreck yourself, <laughs> if we don't do that, sometimes we're tempted to keep feeding it, aren't we? Oh, wow. This person said this to me and I'm angry about it right now. Come to think of it, they said something like that two months ago to me and come to think of it, they acted that way towards me six months ago. And there's a pattern of that. And you know what? I've been nothing but nice to that person. I've been nothing to, but nice nothing but kind how dare they treat me that way guess what you're just oh boy you're just you got that little thing a lighter fluid and you're just squeezing that plastic bottle it's just shooting out there the flames are going up looking at that woman with lust in your heart right somebody once told me oh it's okay to look at a beautiful woman as a married man it's okay to look at a beautiful woman You just need to remember that you can look at the menu, you just can't order anything. Oh boy. Oh boy, missing the point here. Missing the point, right? Of what happens when lust objectifies another individual. Turns somebody, takes them from a real vibrant person, a human being made in the image of God. And turns them into your sex toy. It turns them into a way that you fulfill this desire and urge inside of you. It's selfish. It's so ugly if we would really call it what it is. We know how we can feed that and entertain it and string it along. So the entertaining of these things inside of us simply adds to our guilt while the existence confirms our corruption. Brothers and sisters, friends, please hear me. We are accountable before God not only for our sinful actions but for our sinful hearts. Do you believe that? If we continue with the words of Jesus here in Matthew 5, God also reveals to us that number two, your hearts should be addressed. Your hearts should be addressed. There needs to be a response from you. Jesus calls us to that. If we acknowledge that our hearts are desperately sick, if we're willing to say that, and again, that's a very countercultural thing today, to say today, isn't it? Because if you say, my heart is desperately sick, somebody will say, you should not be so hard on yourself. Stop beating yourself up. Stop, you, you know, you need to esteem yourself. You have you have great, you know, you do you. you got to be the best version of yourself possible. And you stop being, just dogging on yourself. And you're a beautiful, you're special, you're... Now, are some of those things true? Absolutely, they're true. And people who feel like they have no worth we definitely want to bring the word of God to them that they have great worth. God's, God says so, right? But we don't want to get caught in the trap where we identify truth like this, a diagnosis from God that says we're broken and desperately sick and try to make ourselves feel better by saying, no, I'm not sick, I'm healthy. I'm wonderfully healthy. I'm esteemed, right? I'm beautifully healthy because I'm doing me. And I'm the best version of myself today that I can be. No, 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 no. That's not the way that we get to the, to, the, to the idea of you understanding who you are and understanding your value and worth and finding joy in your life. We don't need to dismiss or downplay the diagnosis of God. We need to embrace the bad news so that we can appreciate the good news for what it is. Amen? So, if we acknowledge that our hearts are desperately sick, what practical steps can we take to address this internal corruption? What do you do with the anger? What do you do with the lust? Look what Jesus says here. Immediately after condemning both the angry and lustful hearts, notice that he offers practical advice about what to do next. First, as we see in verses 23 through 25, Jesus encourages us in verses 23 through 25 to take a look identify and rectify the de- the destructive expressions kedrick on the screen here identify and rectify the destructive expressions of the desperately sick hearts i'm giving you that in advance so you can kind of see it when we read through it that that's what he's doing Identify and rectify the destructive expressions of the desperately sick heart. We read this, verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, you with a desperately sick heart, you with that angry heart, that anger boiling up inside of you, you, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you because you have been hurtful and hateful towards him, that's the implication. Leave your gift there. Leave worship of God there. Formal ritual worship of God. And go worship God by being reconciled to your brother. Then you come and offer your gift to God. Come to terms quickly, says Jesus in verse 25, with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard And you be put in prison. Those are some of the natural, we call those natural consequences, right? In our society when you are hateful and hurtful to somebody in certain situations. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that Jesus addresses the angry hearts by addressing the damage caused by the angry hearts. Notice that? He's he's addressing the expression, the damage caused by this angry heart. I think the prescription here is this. What is he doing? I think he's doing this. He's saying, if your anger leads to your hurting someone else and or being at odds with someone else, then respond to the fruit of an angry heart with the fruit of a peacemaking heart. Respond to the fruit of an angry heart, your angry heart, with the fruit of a peacemaking heart. Not only is that the right course of action, but oftentimes when we are walking that path of peace, it can help us find peace for our angry hearts. Your heart may not be hundred percent into that, like reconcile with my brother. Man, I don't want to reconcile with my brother. Man, I told him I told him the truth. I might have told I might have been a little harsh in saying the truth to him. But I told him what he needed to hear. I got in his face and I told him the truth that he needed to hear. And now God's telling me I need to go reconcile with him. You may not be 100% there, but God's saying, go do it. Go do it. Live out that peacemaking heart. When we do that, God is often shaping our hearts through that. We begin to see the reconciling work of God. God blesses those steps of obedience forward with his spirit. We don't neglect our hearts. We want our hearts to be changed. But sometimes that change comes through taking the steps we know need to be taken and walking down that path. So, whether it's anger or lust or fear or pride or greed, be diligent, brothers and sisters, to identify and rectify. The destructive expressions of the desperately sick heart. Make sense? Think about how your heart is hurting others. And then address those situations. And if you can rectify a situation, do it. God's going to meet you there and bless you there. He's going to work on your heart through that process. Second, you see it there already on the screen. We see in verses 29 through 30 that Jesus also calls us to recognize and minimize the tempting opportunities Of the desperately sick heart. He's also calling us to recognize and minimize the tempting opportunities of the desperately sick heart. He says in verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin. Tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members. One part of your body. That your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin. Cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, Pastor Bryce, to be really serious with you, very clear, very honest, I'm not embarrassed by this, this passage in the context is about looking lustfully at a woman and masturbating. That's what it's about. The eye and the hand. Make sense? Jesus is addressing this head on. He's not pulling any punches. He is being absolutely clear with us about that lust-filled heart and the expression of that lust-filled heart. And what is he doing? He is teaching us something here. As many of you know, Jesus is not actually recommending physical mutilation as a cure-all for lust. (laughs) Let's just be clear from the start about that. He's not saying you need to physically mutilate yourself to deal with lust in your heart. (laughs) No, he's asking you this. He's saying... To what lengths will you go to be free of the poison of lust? What would you give up? What would you cut out, tear off, throw away from your life? To be free of that poison of lusts? When you are honest about the struggles of your heart, Will you tear out? Will you cut off? Will you throw away things in your life that you recognize only serve to tempt you and trip you up when it comes to this struggle? Even if those things are inherently good, a hand is a good thing and an eye is a good thing, isn't it? (laughs) But Jesus is willing to say in this hyperbole, this image, that you should pluck out an eye and cut off a hand if it means obedience to God, if it means you stand firm in what he has revealed, not in what you desire according to your lusts. I believe the Apostle Paul gives us a, a similar complementary guidance in Romans chapter 13 verse 14. Take a look. He writes this, Paul. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. One way to address a heart that hungers for impurity, whether it be lust or greed or whatever, is to starve it to death. That's what Paul's advising. That's what Jesus is advising. Right? Do you see that? If you are hungry for your impurity, the strategy is to starve that hunger to death, to kill it. Paul expresses this another way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. He said, give no opportunity to the devil. Don't give him an opportunity. If you know there's a billboard down that street that's going to cause you to stumble in terms of sexual purity, don't drive down that street. Take the longer way home. Take the longer way home. If that smartphone is causing you to stumble, even though it's a nifty little thing in your pocket, emails and texts and watching YouTube, it's causing you to stumble, trade it in for a flip phone. Get rid of it. And you can go right down the list, whether it's greed or anger. We know that we begin to recognize by God's grace the things that feed, that give opportunity The ways we're making provision for those heart struggles. For that sinful heart. Finally, brothers and sisters, Jesus teaches us on this subject of the heart that number three, your heart needs to be devoted. And this is really the climax of what we're talking about this morning. Your your heart needs to be devoted. So... Even though this identifying and rectifying, this recognizing and minimizing that we just talked about, even though these are incredibly important, it might not feel like we are really, pun intended, getting to the heart of the matter. It might feel like Jesus is saying, well, you want to address, Jesus, you want to address the expressions of this angry heart, but how do we address the heart directly? How do we get to a root cause in terms of the root cause? Well, if our heart is ultimately the problem, if my heart is ultimately the problem, what can be done, we should ask, about the desperately sick heart? I think we find one answer to that question in the very next place where Jesus, in this same teaching, uses the word heart. So we're going to move, actually, into the next chapter Uh, look over on the opposite side of your Bible or flip the page over one and you're going to see in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, this is the next place that Jesus says anything about the heart. And what he says here is amazing. It's crucial that you understand this. Chapter 6, verse 21. As you scan over or flip over the next chapter, let's read, but let's pull in the context a little more by starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Is he dealing with the heart there? Yes. What's issue? Greed. Right? He's dealing with greed. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. There's greed driving us to gather possessions, become materialistic. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But Jesus says, lay up for yourselves instead treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. Where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wow. Wow. How does this passage relate to our key verses from Chapter Five about anger and lust? I think what we find here is the ap, that ap, i think we find here what we find here is is absolutely central to curing a desperately sick heart. What is a healthy heart? Yes, a healthy heart is not one driven by or ruled by unrighteous anger. You would say that's healthy, right? yeah. A healthy heart is not one ruled by unrighteous anger. A healthy heart is not one ruled by fleshly, worldly lusts. But it's more than that Jesus is telling us right here. It's more than that. What ultimately defines a healthy heart is this. That it treasures God above everything else. That's a healthy heart. That God is treasured above all. Notice a few verses later in chapter 6 that Jesus addresses another this same heart struggle, greed. He addresses it in this way. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the key idea. Please don't miss it. Write it down if you need to. If there's one thing you take from today, take this with you. The ultimate problem with your heart is not greed or anger or lust. The ultimate problem is always idolatry. Idolatry is always the ultimate problem. If you're battling with lust in your life, There's usually an idol underneath that driving that. There's an idol. There's a worship disorder happening within you that's driving and fueling that anger. That's using the anger as a tool to accomplish that false worship inside of you. Take, for example, the idol of human approval. When we are ruled... By human approval. The praise of others. Anger is one of the tools in our toolbox, isn't it? We get upset. We get angry. And when we don't feel desired, we turn to lusts. We aren't getting our way. We turn to anger. You can go right down the list. Jealousy. Fear. They're all at work within the human heart. Why? Because the orientation of the heart in terms of worship is off. 180 degrees. It's corrupt. Jesus is saying that here. He's saying the real issue is not your greed, your materialism, brothers and sisters, friends. The real issue is that you're serving mammon. You're serving money. You're devoted to it like you should be devoted to God instead. That's what Jesus wants us to understand. Identifying these kinds of infecting idols is not always easy. I get that. But acknowledging that your greatest struggle is in fact a worship disorder, that is absolutely essential to you experiencing real change in your life. Your heart needs to be devoted to God. It needs to be devoted to Him. That's where that change comes from. Remember what I said earlier. The main thrust of both of these passages has to do with what we might call our heart-based guilt before God. If you haven't already, are you ready now to acknowledge that in so many of your struggles and failures and frustrations and conflicts, are you willing to acknowledge that your heart is the ultimate problem? It doesn't matter how people drive around me. I might get angry when I see somebody's life endangered by somebody else. That's righteous anger. But... But unrighteous anger doesn't then kick in and then I drive up and tail get right on the person's tail or, or yell at them, roll down my window or wave a, wave a gun at them or do whatever. That's not what we do. When that person drives by or rides your bumper or whatever they're doing, honking at you or whatever, you have a choice to make. It's going it's to prick your heart. The question is, what will happen within your heart? Will you let that person go by and say, Go ahead. Go on by. Or say, you know what, that person's driving crazy. I'm gonna pray for them. Cause they're gonna they might get hurt and somebody else might get hurt because of them. Or what's going on? This person seems like they are there's something going on in that person's life. They seem really angry, they're driving in an angry way. You see, we don't do that because those kinds of situations expose us. They expose what's in our heart. And you can multiply the varieties, examples of those kinds of situations that expose us. So God is asking you this morning, I am asking you, are you ready to acknowledge that your heart is the ultimate problem in so many of those areas? So many struggles and failures and frustrations and conflicts. Or will you continue like you have been to point to certain people, to certain circumstances as the root cause? when you are sobered by the fact that your heart will be judged when you are then persuaded that such a heart needs to be addressed in your life when you are then convinced that your heart needs to be devoted first and foremost to God then I pray that you will realize your absolute inability to change any of it now that doesn't sound very practical pastor you just built us up. You just gave us this diagnosis of what's wrong with us. And then you said, like, you can't change any of it. You can't. But God can. Right? There is good news for the bad news about our hearts. There is good news. And we need to keep telling each other this over and over again. That is what we are called to do. That's what it means to speak the truth and love to one another. I encourage you to cling to a promise given to the prophet Ezekiel over 2,500 years ago. And here is that promise. And I will give you a new heart. And I will give you a a new spirit. I will put a new spirit within you. Ezekiel 36, 26. How did God fulfill this promise to his people to give them a new heart? Paul answers that. Broadly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, he says this, take a look, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Four chapters later in 2 Corinthians 5, he will say, he will talk about how if you are in Christ, if any man or woman is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. A new creation, a new heart, that new spirit, Jesus suffered on the cross, not only for your sinful choices, he also suffered for your sinful hearts. Amen? He took our place for that sinful heart, though his heart was pure. Though we are so often drawn to idols, Jesus has brought us to God by his blood. Such good news. And he empowers us with this new heart. He empowers us for more than just outward conformity to the law of God. He empowers us for true God-treasuring devotion through the power of his resurrection. Do you want that in your life? God-treasuring devotion. God to be first. Not a worship disorder, but ordered worship within the very core of you looking to God looking to his grace to change you from the inside out. The power of the resurrection makes that possible. And wonderfully, all of this is available to us even now freely when you simply believe, trust. It's all he wants you to do. What is faith? It's the open hand of the heart that you would receive what God has for you. You add nothing to it. You simply take it. He gives it to you whether you don't know Christ yet and you're there on the cusp or you know Christ and have walked with him for many years, it doesn't change. We walk by faith. We trust him. Trust him for the heart change that he wants to bring to your life this morning, brother, sister. Trust him for the heart change that he wants to bring to your life. If you don't yet know Jesus Christ, then I pray that you've heard this really good news that change is possible. How will the world change? One heart at a time. Until the day that Christ returns. And when he does, it will be too late for that change. It'll be destiny. The destiny of the righteous and the unrighteous will be set. So now we have, I appeal to you now in the here and now in the present to be reconciled to God. Be right with God through what Jesus has done. Because he wants to change your life beginning from the inside. Of who you are. Amen. Let's pray. Let's give thanks to God. For this good word this morning.